Father, we thank you that you hear and you answer our prayers. Lord, thank you so much that we can take these requests to you and know that you hear them. And uh, to, to really give those cares, give those burdens to you. And Lord, know that, and know that you're at work uh, in your time, according to your word, your will, uh, your timing, you're gonna work it all out. And we're grateful, we're grateful for the way that, that uh, you use all church retreat. Lord, we're grateful for the way you use people in ministry. Lord, would you continue, keep, keep bringing glory to yourself. It's marvelous, it's wonderful to us, and, and we just give you glory and praise for it all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, very quickly, we wanna, we wanna get the handout. If you did not get the handout, you want the handout. Raise your hand, okay, because in the amount of time that I have to cover the ministry principle that we're looking at tonight, there's just no way that I can cover it all. All I can do is introduce you to the concept tonight. And so what's on your handout, we won't actually be able to cover all of it. I'm gonna walk you through it. But um, a lot of this is just for your reference, okay? It's just some, some notes that I jotted down that support this uh, ministry principle. So again, we're on Tuesday nights over the summer, we're looking at ministry principles that, that, that and again, there's, there are hundreds of principles that apply to ministry in the local church. What we've done as a local church is we've distill, distilled as few principles as possible that get us mostly on target, right? So that every member will know those ministry principles. And if their ministry, whatever they're doing in ministry, as long as it doesn't violate one of these principles, well then man, move forward in faith and, and let's trust God to work. Uh, last time, Pastor Best covered, we're always, the principle, we're always making disciples. Um, and so you can go online and get that information. And so if you've got your handout, just, just follow along uh, a, a, as best you can. Uh, Lord help us, amen. Okay, so the, the, the third ministry principle is this. We have a final authority. We have a standard for absolute truth. Now we live in an age where proclaiming and holding um, uh, to your truth I mean, whatever that is, uh, that's viewed as a virtue. And the problem, and I think more and more people are seeing it now, when everything is true, everybody has their own personal individual truth, then doublespeak wins the day. Nothing said is really what it means, right? I mean, just these ludicrous statements are being stated like they're just cold hard facts, and it's ludicrous. Dylan Mulvaney is a girl. My foot. Okay, that was a little early, guys. But here it is. If, if Dylan Mulvaney is a girl, then I'm a cantaloupe. I'm a cantaloupe. I'm a delicious melon, and you cannot prove that I'm not. I am ripe, I am sweet, and I am delicious. And believe it or not, I even taste great with salt and pepper, and I am amazing with vanilla ice cream. And you say to that, ludicrous, cantaloupe doesn't taste good with ice cream. My point exactly. I think it does. Just try it. 
God is my witness, just try it, it's amazing. <laughs> Hopefully I've corrupted a few of you tonight. Okay, now you may not like the fact that I identify as a cantaloupe, but there it is. You may not like it, that's your truth, I gotta follow my truth. Okay, you see where this goes to just crazy, this, this goes to insanity so quickly. What is truth? Get this down in your notes. Okay, there are a few blanks I want you to fill in as we introduce this. Truth is important because it holds us accountable to reality, not to fantasy. If truth, right, if truth, if it's truth, it's not subjective but rather objective. Is this a boy? Well, why is it a boy? Well, look. He has XY chromosomes, and oh, look, an Audi. I mean, you can put lipstick on him and dress him and call him Sally, but it doesn't change anything but make a mockery of him and women. This is a girl, well, how do I know? Well, look, XX chromosomes, and oh, you know, be careful. She hasn't any. See, without objective truth, all you have is, all you have is chaos. Um, if you don't know what an Audi and an Annie is, uh, just talk to somebody. They'll, they'll clue you in. <laughs> Without objective truth, you've got chaos. And man, we're seeing that over the last few years, aren't we? It's just going nuts. And people are screaming lies like they're cold, hard facts. Everybody's following their truth. We see it exploding around us. It's insane. Truth is important. It's absolutely critical in terms of our relationship with God. Jesus, when he was praying for us, you know how he prayed in John 17, 17? He said, he's asking the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. God uses his truth. He uses his word to separate us to himself. Okay, so there is a right way to be sanctified, and then there's a wrong way to be sanctified that does not result in sanctification to God. If you're going a way that's right in your own eyes, you're not drawing nearer to the Lord. What are you? You're following the spirit of Antichrist. Absolute truth is absolutely necessary. We have to know what God said so that we can know whether or not we're in agreement, that our lives are in alignment. We need a standard. See, me following my truth, or you following your truth, at the end of the day, what you think is true doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, what did the Bible say? What did God say? That's the only thing that matters. So we, as a local church, we trust in God's word as our ultimate authority. We don't trust in what the pastor says or what other church leaders say as being the final authority. No, what does the Word of God say? And so ultimately, all are to submit all issues and questions under the banner of this. What does God, right? What does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? So in our local church, it's not the pastors or the teachers that function as the gold standard for truth in in all manners of doctrine or practice. No, our job, the pastors and leaders, it's their job to study it, live it out, model it, teach it to the other brothers and sisters so they can do the same. 
Our job isn't to tear it apart and explain it away with human logic and doubting criticism. Basically, the Bible exists to change us. Romans 12, 2 says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What does that look like? Well, it's not going away that's right in your own eyes. It's not by living out whatever, you, whatever fantasy you want to believe is true. It should lead to being able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, where do we find that? We find that in his word. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, and verse 12, he's, his prayer is that they'd walk worthy. He's thankful for them in verse 13. He says, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word of God is to change us. It's not a man-made book. It's the word of God given to man. So we don't change it. There's a warning in Revelation 22. We don't mess with God's word. Uh, you just see an incredible picture in Revelation 22. Um, verse 18, if any man add to these things, right? I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. There are some dispensational considerations to take into account when you're in the book of Revelation, but just don't miss the critical warning of catastrophic, a catastrophic outcome because you thought it was okay to mess with the word of God, to change it, to make it palatable, to explain it away, to add to it, or to get rid of parts that you don't like. And the history of textual criticism is full of this. In, Romans or in 1 Corinthians chapters one and two, uh, you see it modeled in the, the life of the Apostle Paul. I didn't come to you full of myself. I came and just gave you the word of God. You can check that out for yourself. We believe that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us as we study the Bible, 2 Corinthians 2.10. Um, God reveals his truth to us. He knows what he meant when he wrote his book, when he gave his word. And so uh, through the Spirit, we can, we can learn these things of God. Uh, we list for you in your notes our statement of faith. We do believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. And God has promised to preserve every jot and tittle of what he inspired, Matthew 5, 18. We hold to the authorized version, that's the King James Bible, as the inerrant standard for English-speaking people and believe we find within it the certainty of the words of truth because that's the promise that we find in the Bible. Proverbs 22 says, have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? Yeah, God, thank you. So what? So that... I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that sent thee. Now today, a lot of people don't believe this, and so they're working on fixing the Bible so that it, it says what they think it ought to say. There's a lot of that in the modern era. They have man-made texts, but no biblical authority. They've got evolving manuscripts, they've got evolving uh, text types or, 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 or um, um, uh, families of texts that, 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 that they mine 
in order to develop uh, an underlying Greek or Hebrew text for translation into English. So they've got an evolving text, but no biblical authority. And so you might think, well, how's this happened? I give you a chart that um, Jack Mormon put together, or it's actually from Jack Mormon's um, book, and it's turned into a chart. And basically what you have is a story of two Bibles, of two lines or two families of Bibles. And one's based out of Antioch. And this is the, the line or the family of texts that the church has believed on, followed, received, lived out in their life, passed on to their disciples, bled and died for its preservation. And again, we don't have time to look through all of that. This is here for your reference and your study. Then there's another line that starts in Alexandria in Egypt that, that compounds error and corruption. And in terms of the outcome, what you have are two camps of Bibles. One, and only one, English Bible, is based on the received text the body of text that the church bled and died to preserve. There's only one, it's the King James Bible. Even the New King James Bible takes renderings, right, translates into the New King James readings from the critical or the eclectic text. Um, these are, these texts are, the, the, the text that they're translating from is based on a minority group of manuscripts that are full of disagreements, full of contradictions to the received text, and they contradict each other. Every other English Bible has renderings or readings from a text that is not settled, it's not certain, it's constantly evolving. Seth, are you paying attention, or are you just talking in church? Okay, just checking, sorry bro. That just popped out. <laughs> See, if you look at history, right? If you look at the evidence in history, uh, the English Bible that we use today, you're gonna find it starts, just, you'll see it in the chart, it starts with John Wycliffe. And there's been six major revisions since then, and it is interesting. We've got seven, seven generations of an English Bible out of the received text, and that lines up with Psalms 12. Here's the big deal, here's what you need to know. For over 200, almost 300 years, okay? For almost 300 years, the King James Bible was the only available Bible that we had in English. It was the Bible that the church used in ministry, faith, and practice. And so if it's not God's word in English, then we've never had them. We've never had God's word in English. God promised to preserve his word perfect, complete, entire to every generation. If it's not the preserved word of God in English, then we don't have it, we never will. Because here's the deal. Every modern version, they keep coming out with new additions, right? They keep, they keep making changes, they keep actually adding translations. So we hold to a faith-based position. We believe that God has providentially operated through the priesthood of believers. What we have 
as a result, right, what we have in the KJV as a result of the process of preservation, well, what we have is the very words of God in our language. Um, you can believe that, or you can believe that a bunch of people who do not agree with each other about what the Word of God is supposed to say, they don't agree with each other, but they're gonna tell you what the Word of God is supposed to say, and oh, by the way, that text is constantly evolving. And they don't all say the same thing. Two things that are different are not the same, right? They're not all the same. Some of them leave off the ending of Mark, right? Some of them literally change words, drop out verses, because they didn't like it. They don't like what it says. They don't think it should be in the Bible. So you've got, you've got uh, literally the, the philosophy in that camp is we're getting closer. With every discovery, every linguistic discovery, every manuscript discovery, we're, 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 we're getting closer to approximating what God originally gave his people. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. It's evolving. It's getting better. What do you have is you've got an ever-changing, ever-evolving text. How do you find in that the certainty of the words of truth? What did God say? We don't know. All we can do is get close. Man, I don't want to live like that. What does the word of God say? I want to just be able to go find it, punch it in my search engine, and look it up, book, chapter, verse. See, and that's what you have in the alternatives is you've got uncertainty. The trade-off always is between readability and accuracy. The, most of, some of the modern versions endeavor to, to, to be a, a, a literal translation, but a lot of them really strive for readability. And, um, you know, if you did that, you know, if you wanted to just read the Bible, you, you might get away with a New King James or another modern translation, but you're still gonna miss stuff. If you wanna study the certainty of the words of truth, uh, help, help, let us help you find a good wide margin Bible in the authorized version. Uh, let us help you start studying a Bible that will give you the certainty of the words of truth, that you're reading the same thing that the generations and generations before you that bled and died following, obeying, and, 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 and being used of God to preserve those scriptures um, God's saying the exact same thing to you. A lot of people say, ah, you know, the King James is full of a lot of language that's just tough for me to understand. It's written in a middle school level. There are vocabulary words that you will have to learn if you're gonna effectually, effectively study a King James Bible, but that's doable. Uh, do what your third, anytime you come to a word that you don't understand, do what your third grade teacher told you to, and you just look up the definition. Over, over, way over 90% of the time, the definition for that word is understandable from the context that you find it in. Not always, but usually. Um, if it's a name, if it's, if, if it's a di identifying something, um, a lot of times, typically, you'll have to look that up. But if it's communicating concepts, uh, you can figure it out from the text, from the, from the context. So, We've got two competing texts, a received text and a man-made text. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete. If I'm guessing about what God really said, how am I gonna know that I'm living according to his will? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Pay attention to a church's statement of faith 
And if they say we believe that the scriptures are inerrant in the originals, well, they don't buy into a received text position. They're using an evolving text for faith, practice, and ministry. Here's the problem with that statement. Every church that says we believe the word of God is inerrant in the originals, uh, the problem with that is the original manuscripts no longer exist. There are no originals. I mean, there were originals. I mean, at one point, Paul did write a letter, but nobody has it today. So how do you know what Paul really said? You either believe by faith that God will keep the promises that he gave us in his word, or you've got an approximation. The, rig- the original manuscripts no longer exist, but what was spoken, that's inspiration, was written, that's inscripturation. Alan Shelby came up with that term, it's really awesome. It got inscripturated, and then it was copied, that's transmission, and it was distributed. Um, those copies in the Old Testament was by the priests, but in the case of the New Testament, it's the believers that are stewarding it, stewarding the, the, the propagation of the word of God. And then, you know, what they did, God used them so that it's accurate, it ma- he maintained the integrity of the text, that's preservation. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 36, you've got someone that didn't like the word of God, so he took it away, cut it up with a pen knife and threw it in the fire, and, and so God just came back to Jeremiah, and he says, take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. Then Jeremiah took another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Nera, who, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which, Jeho- which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides that unto them many like words. Uh, God's the author, so he can add to the text as he sees fit. But it's awesome. Jehoiakim doesn't like what he hears, so he destroys it. Well, God's word stands. Not one jot or one tittle will in any wise pass away until all is fulfilled. The word of God stands. Heaven and earth will pass away and the word of God will stand. And so God, you know, like, oh, okay, you threw my, you threw my word away. And so then he just doubled down. But what's amazing is we don't, we're not Hebrew or Greek-speaking people. We're English-speaking people. And the beautiful news for us is now because the word of God is preserved, God does keep his promises, that results in the opportunity for us to have in our language, that's translation, the very words of God. We can have the revelation of God in our life because God has preserved his word and it has been translated for us. The debates are in, the data is in, it's settled, it's a settled, it's, it's a settled account, the authorized version. Uh, you have the certainty of the words of truth. Dr. Waite, um, D.A. Waite frames this issue from four very powerful perspectives. And he makes a great case for you to understand why you can trust the authorized version as God's preserved word, pure, perfect, preserved word in English. And the first category, and again, we're running out of time, but the first category is the fact that the KJV is based on a superior family of text. And we talked about the difference between the, the, the family of texts that the church used throughout church history, 
versus the body of text that it largely rejected. Um, it was accepted and received and, and errors propagated from Alexandria, Egypt, but the Byzantine text, um, it, was, it was faithfully used and, and uh, preserved and propagated. What's interesting is historically, this is, you know, the debate, the divide that we have over the Word of God is really a recent, uh, a, a very recent thing, okay? Historically, God's people have believed that they have the Word of God preserved for them. Uh, even Kurt Allen, okay, who is a contributor to an, a critical, eclectic Greek text, he said, it is undisputed that from the 16th and 18th century, Orthodoxy's doctrine of verbal inspiration assumed the received text. They regarded it as the original text. It was regarded as preserving, even to the last detail, the inspired and infallible Word of God himself. Now, he didn't believe that, and that's why he was in the other camp. The manuscripts that formed the basis for the translation of every other modern English translation, they're based on just five, less than 5% of the total witnesses that we have to the Word of God throughout church history. Less than 5%. Okay, so the way that we illustrate this as simply as we can, let's say, a hundred people see an accident take place. The police shows up or it goes to court. hundred witnesses are called. And if 95 of those witnesses are saying the exact same thing, no, the dude saw the guy in the middle of the street and he literally burned rubber and ran him over. That's what we saw. 95 people give the same testimony, the same witness. But the other five, right? The other five disagree with each other they disagree with the 95, is the response of the judge gonna be, oh, you know what, you five guys, you're making a lot of sense here. And I think we're gonna go with your account, with your witness, you're making a whole lot of sense here, let's go with, is that justice? I mean, who thinks that that's the right outcome when you've got 95 people that are saying the exact same thing? In terms of the manuscripts that we have from church history, the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming number, over 95% of them agree as to what the Word of God says. This is known as, we call it the received text. The other 5%, we'll just call it the textus rejectus, historically. They disagree with the 95 and the, 95, the other 95% and with each other. No certainty of the words of truth. Titchendorf told his colleagues, he said, I will overthrow that damnable Texas Receptus. And so he went hunting. He found Sinaiticus at St. Catherine's, Vaticanus in the Pope's library, and a new Greek text was born. When they revised the Bible, many of the revisers later criticized their own work, and I think I listed that for you there in your notes. The KJV had superior translators. The scholarship of the, of the James gang was unsurpassed. Uh, many were versed in multiple languages as children. Some of these kids were fluent in ancient languages by the ages of seven, eight, nine, 12 years of age. Um, I, we just list a few highlights there for you in your notes. The most important thing about these translators is they were saved men. They believed the word of God. They, they, they believed it meant what it said. It said what it meant. Uh, you compare saved men who are handling the word of God with the revisor's beliefs. 
Uh, the school of textual criticism is full of unorthodox belief. Hort, Westcott, uh, they, they, they were apostates. Hort viewed evangelicals as perverted, especially their view of the authority of the Bible. Westcott didn't believe that Genesis was literal. He believed it was a fairy tale. And it just continues from there all the way down today. Metzger, Noah's flood was local. Job is ancient folklore. Jonah's a legend. Uh, Carlo Maria Martini, Jesuit priest and cardinal. Obviously he has Roman Catholic doctrine, but he's one of the revisers. He promoted evolution. So you know he doesn't hold to a literal view of the Genesis account. And then again, in Kurt, Kurt Allen, we, we just heard a quote from him. He rejected verbal inspiration. The King James Bible was translated through superior technique. Um, it, it, as, you know, when you translate from one language to another, you're not going to say exactly the same thing in the receiver language as you would in the original language. You're just not gonna do that in order to say the exact same thing. So for example, the example I always use, because I don't know Spanish very well, is in English, I'm just gonna tell you, I am a handsome man. I'm a very handsome, a very good looking man. Now, if I wanna say the exact same thing in Spanish, I actually have to change a few things. Um, es un hombre um, muy guapo. Is that, huh? Muy, huh? One of you. I need, I, hold on, I need a Spanish lesson. What? Soy un hombre guapo. So, oh, yo soy, yeah. Soy un hombre muy guapo. Not guapo, muy guapo. Yeah. So, I am a man, right? I am a man, very handsome. I have to switch some things around in order to say exactly the same thing in the receiver language that I said in the original. Does that make sense? And so there are changes. The, the, the James gang, whenever they'd come to a place that was tough, so that it's a literal interpretation, they want to say in English what the Word of God is saying in Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. And when there was difficulty or doubt, they would transliterate a Greek or Hebrew word, make a new English word, because English was insufficient. So they'd make words because there was no other way to do it, or they would give alternate renderings. If there was another way it could be translated, they put that in the margin of the authorized version. The critical text revisers, well, they're trying to approximate, and they wanna make it understandable to the culture that's reading it. And so you literally, in some, some missionaries and some translators in some places in the world where bread is not a staple, they're, they're pulling things like you know, Jesus saying, I am the rice of life. He, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus is the what of life? He's the bread. I mean, so instead of baking some bread and educating some people that, 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 that don't, I mean, I don't know where you go to not find bread, but whatever. I mean, I just, I heard the story. They hold that the oldest manuscripts are the best. The problem is, is manuscripts have been corrupted from the beginning. Um, 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul says, we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. In the first century, while the word of God was being delivered, people were perverting it, warping it, changing it, and the church would recognize it. And then those are the manuscripts that would fall into disuse. 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2. 
Don't be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor as by letter from us that the day of Christ is at hand. You've got people that are forging epistles. Corruption has been from the beginning. Oldest is not necessarily best. Manuscripts that are faithful to the word of God, those are best. But those are best. And then the revisers feel like the Bible, you know, it's just like any other book, so we need to apply the same critical scholarship. Uh, we need to fix it just like any other book. And then the translators held a superior theology. There's a lot that we could say about that. I'll just tell you at the end of it, okay, the Bible's believed, or the, the King James translators believed that the Bible said what it meant, it meant what it said. Uh, in the other camp, the motivations are legion. But let me tell you what's at the bottom of it. The more product, the more, the more product items that can be generated, the more that will drive sales. And if we can just come out with a new living translation study Bible for, for, for Catholic new mothers, the Catholic new mother New International Translation Study Bible. I mean, like, okay, cha-ching. That then becomes an opportunity to, to, to sell more to more people. Uh, the Bible you had last year is outdated, and so we're gonna sell you a new one, and here's why it's better. Uh, that, I, I believe, you know, people say, you know, when something seems off, what do you do? Follow the money. You know, it was believers that translated the authorized version. What you have today are corporations translating the word of God. Corporations, those same corporations that sell pornography are selling Bibles. The bottom line, is it translation to perfection? Is that the goal of a corporation? No. It's selling more product. That's the bottom line. More products means more money. I'll give you just a practical argument. Uh, people today, the big issue, you know, is hey, everybody's using modern versions. Um, I, I'm not saying that somebody reading a New King James is the equivalent to believing in evolution or being a part of Hitler's. Nazi Germany participating in the Holocaust or someone going out and getting an abortion. But those were prevailing views for different people at different times and because everybody was okay, everybody was in agreement, that doesn't make it right. The prevailing view is that if you get in a bind, abortion is a legitimate option. Man, life has created it. Right? People are made in the likeness and image of God himself. Children are the heritage of the Lord. And you're going to butcher it in the womb? No way. We're not going to do that. The prevailing wisdom is not right. It's not correct. I'll give you another example. So many good people. Here's the deal. There's a lot of people that are on the other side of this debate. That doesn't mean that they're evil. Sometimes it's just they don't have all the data. And I give you some testimonies from guys who are very famous in terms of this topic, this debate, 
and you get their testimony on how they came to a, certainty, a place of certainty, uh, certainty of the words of truth. I give you some other books that you can read. You can look more, uh, uh, you can look into this more on your own, but let me just end by saying this. You actually can bring whatever translation of the Bible you want, you can bring that to church. You can bring that to MBT. You wanna bring your ESV and open it up and read along? Uh, that is not a problem. If some King James only rookie cadet or police officer pulls you over and tries to give you a citation over the version of Bible that you brought to this church, just get their name and badge number and give that to me, and I will re-educate them, okay? Um, we should not be messing with people over the version of Bible that they bring to use at our church. But know this, if you're teaching in this church, you're teaching from a King James Bible, because they don't all say the same thing. And we're not gonna be that church that has 20 different people sitting in a circle with 20 different versions of the Bible and everybody's saying, well, my Bible says, but my Bible says, well, my Bible says it this way. And then what do we have at the end of all of that? Do we have the certainty of the words of truth or do we have confusion? At the end of the day, we don't know what the Bible says if we don't have a final authority. We're gonna teach if, if you have a teaching responsibility in this church, it will be from a King James Bible. There's a practical value that comes along uh, that goes with that. You know, Eric is trying to build a choir and uh, they're gonna sing, bless the Lord, but they've got 20 different versions of that song and if every choir member can bring their own version of the song, their own style of the song, and then they're gonna sing that together. Are we gonna have beautiful harmony and a wonderful sound coming out of the choir? Or is it gonna be a cacophony of chaos? Which is it gonna be? Uh, this is the songbook. And we're all gonna sing out of this hymnal. And at the end of the day, um, that then functions for us, right? It functions as a final authority for us. And so it doesn't matter what I say, or what you say, what I think, or what you think. If there's a debate, if there's a question, if there's a disagreement, the way we settle it is we go to the standard. We go to the, the, the source of absolute truth and we say, okay, what did God say about it? And we've all got the same book and we're minding the same thing so we can speak the same thing. Oh, by the way, that's in your Bible. We're called to mind and speak and say the same thing. Well, how are we gonna do that if everybody's going away that's right in their own eyes? What does the book say? What does God's word say? That ought to settle it. A lot of people say, oh, you know, we're not expecting anybody to, to, to be ready to write their doctoral, you know, their dissertation on uh, the, the, the received text. Okay, you don't have to even understand everything. Uh, if you're a member of this church, you're gonna just submit to that. And here's the thing. Um, if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't matter what version of the Bible a person uses, then it shouldn't matter that we're asking you to use the King James if you're teaching in this church. Does that make sense? I mean, if it doesn't matter, it's weird. 
It's really weird. It's like, uh, I don't know, man, something about it. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, they're ESV only. That's, that's kind of cool. You know, they're really hardcore. Oh, we're King James only. You're a cult. <laughs> like, it's okay to use any Bible, but if you're only going to use the King James, then you must be a cult. Which used to be the position of every English-speaking church just a few decades ago. It's only in the last few years that this cacophony of chaos has won the day. The, the, the prevailing view today is not a historic position. It's not a historic view. Uh, but, you know, everybody has to follow their truth, and, and people like to go away that's right in their own eyes. When it's all said and done, you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to give an account for how you follow his word. And did you have the certainty of the words of truth so that you could run when you read it? Do you know what God said so that you can submit your life to it? Or are you going to spend all your life guessing about what the Bible might or might not say or mean? Lord, help us. God, help us to be a church who have a final authority. Lord, I thank you for a final authority, no matter how we feel about it. Thank you that your word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, Lord, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not the source for truth. I'm so grateful I have one. Lord, would you bless us as we pursue accountability um, to absolute truth. Help bless us as we pursue accountability to your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.